Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It's Prescott. Guns it. End zone. Oh, left corner. What a grab! Schultz goes upstairs for the touchdown. Shotgun. Dobbs, look out. Steps forward. Dobbs throws on the move. Intercepted along the near sideline. It is Nashawn Wright. Those are the two daggers offensively and defensively last night that allowed the Cowboys to finally put the Titans out of their misery, a game that felt closer than it should have been just until the final 10 minutes or so of regulation, a game that I thought wasn't going to be very entertaining, but it's football, it's on TV, and it's better than watching, in my opinion, some random bowl game between a couple of college teams I really don't pay attention to. So hopefully you'll pay attention to us for the next two hours, he's Peter King. I'm Mike Florio, PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more, as always, at googlestore.com. Good morning, Peter. Happy holidays. Missed you last week, although greatly appreciated the annual, first annual Festivus video. <laughs> hey, listen, every year until I die, then I won't be able to do one. But every year till I die, whether I am employed uh, by NBC or whether I am trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life, I will be making a Festivus video. And I just want to tell you, there will be consequences if you don't play it on the air in Happy Festivus Day. <laughs> it, it, it will be played, and we enjoyed it greatly, but it's better to have you here for the full two hours. Uh, great work, by the way, on the feature with the gifts for the linemen that was aired during Football Night in America on Christmas night. That was a lot of fun. A lot of neat little nuggets there and eye-opening what the quarterbacks really do to stay in the good graces of the men charged with keeping them on their feet. That's an issue that emerged from last night's game, too, by the way. PFT Live. Peacock. I forgot where we are. Peacock. 
Sirius XM 85, Sky Sports NFL. This is the day we're live. I haven't checked again. I don't need to check. We're live. We're just going to treat it as live. We are live in the UK and Ireland. And if I show any hesitation or uncertainty, my email box will be flooded from the folks who are watching it live there. So hello to all of you. And hello to the podcast audience who is catching up somewhere, somehow on any podcast platform. Okay, so last night's game, compelling in its own kind of weird way. When I saw yesterday Josh Dobbs was starting instead of Malik Willis, I thought, what the hell? This is a great opportunity to get Malik Willis some reps. This is a great chance to get him ready for the showdown next Sunday, possibly Sunday night, between the Titans and the Jaguars. Winner wins the division and goes to the playoffs and hosts a playoff game. Loser goes home. What's this Josh Dobbs? He just walked through the door. Well, now they got a question, Peter. As to whether it's Josh Dobbs or Malik Willis for the AFC South Championship game. I mean, does it matter? And, and you know, <laughs> I, of course oh, it matters. Ouch. But no, no I'm, I'm just asking this question. Based on what you saw out of Malik Willis so far this year, you know, 50% passer. Zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, and, and obviously, he's not played a lot. But do you have any faith in Malik Willis to go into Jacksonville and win this game? Look, you probably don't have any faith in Josh Dobbs doing it either. But I, I think if you're Mike Vrabel, you've got to sit down with Todd Downing today, tomorrow, whenever. And you have to decide. And, and who knows, Mike? He may have already decided that I am not starting Malik Willis in a winner-take-all play, essentially a pre-playoff playoff game. And so it may have already been determined, but honestly, I can't get too fired up whoever they pick because they're going to be in an absolute, clear, unquestioned disadvantage going into Jacksonville. Unless, unless Derrick Henry is somewhere north of 85% and he can run the ball 35 times and, you know, control the clock in this game. You know, Mike, we, it's gone out of style. It's, it's kind of getting back into style a little bit with a few teams this year running the ball and, and rushing has become you know, significantly more popular and by a bunch of winning teams too. But essentially, a generation ago, maybe longer than that in the NFL, coaches basically used the running game to run the clock. And if Mike Vrabel is thinking what I'm thinking, he's going to go back and watch the New York Giants play the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl in January 1991. And he's going to see what Ron Earhart, the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants did. When Bill Parcells said to him, before that week of practice began, play clock ball. And what he meant was, run it as many times as you can. Just make sure you keep the ball out of Jim Kelly's hands. And again, I'm not calling Trevor Lawrence Jim Kelly. But what I am saying is that we've got to be realistic about who the Tennessee Titans are right now. And who they are is an awful team in the passing game. But if Derrick Henry plays, 
they could be a ball control team in the running game. It is amazing. Malik Willis had 23 pass attempts on Saturday against the Texans for 99 total yards. Why not, as Sims and I were saying yesterday, just make those 23 runs? You'll get more than 99 yards from Derrick Henry than you will in 23 passes from Malik Willis. But this underscores to me also, Peter, the tension that had to have existed between head coach Mike Vrabel and former GM John Robinson, and it's one of the reasons why Robinson's not there. You get the impression that Mike Vrabel was not, is not, and likely never will be a Malik Willis guy, which means third-round pick wasted by the Titans on a quarterback that Vrabel is already coming to the conclusion isn't going to be the guy. Now, maybe he just needs more time. Maybe he shouldn't have been thrust into the fray, but they got to the point where that's what they needed to do because Ryan Tannehill was injured. Malik Willis in multiple starts this year, not great passing, at times flashes of physical ability in the run game, but but not good enough. Anytime that Josh Dobbs can walk through the door, start his first NFL career game, throw his first NFL career touchdown pass, and create even a debate between himself and the guy who was the betting favorite to be the first quarterback taken in the draft, that tells you that the head coach of the team isn't a believer in the young guy and is basically willing to to take a chance on anyone with a pulse who can come in and move the offense even at a marginal level. Hey, look, you're seeing these throws right here last night that at least to me, when I look at them, I say, we can, we can make do with this. We can make do with this. And clearly, you're right, Mike. When I heard that Dobbs was starting this game, I, I just said to myself, this is... This is not just bad news for Malik Willis today. It's bad news for him going into the future. You pick a guy up off the street in December. It's not like you picked him up, you know, at the deadline, at the roster deadline on Labor Day weekend, Mike. It, it, you picked him up in December, which means that <clears throat> already all of the quarterbacks who had gotten looks, the Josh Johnsons of the world, all the guys on every team's practice squad, you're like sifting through. So there, you are basically looking at, <clears throat> looking at <clears throat> excuse me, if you consider the number of teams that have three quarterbacks on the active roster and the number have two, you basically are going for around the 86th best quarterback in football. Okay, or or somewhere around there. I shouldn't say maybe the 86th best. I'm talking about the 86th most highly regarded quarterback. And you're asking him, you know, to win a game, even though last night's game truly, it, it was like a preseason game, at least for Tennessee. Meant something to Dallas, not a lot really, because the Eagles are not win- not losing their last two games at home against the Saints and the Giants. But meant a little something. You know, does Jacksonville want to go into, uh, you know, basically a winner-take-all game on the road in Week 18, having lost 97 games in a row? No, of course not. But that is their lot in life. 
and they're going in there with a lightly regarded quarterback, but who, look, he didn't play great last night, but you just showed three throws that, you know, on the button, really thrown with authority. I can work with that. You know, that's that's something that to me, in the wake of what Malik Willis has shown, I'd rather work right now uh, with Joshua Dobbs. The Titans provide further proof that football season really begins at Thanksgiving. It was one week before Thanksgiving that the Titans last won a game on Thursday night at Lambeau Field. And they seemingly put the dagger in the Packers that night. Instead, the Titans have lost six in a row. From 7-3 and three to 7-9, and nine, the Packers have resurrected their chances, and they still remain alive for a playoff berth in the NFC. So much has changed since then, but especially the Titans. And, Peter, I can't get past – you mentioned Todd Downing. I can't get past wondering how big of a deal internally – that Todd Downing DUI arrest where the timeline made it inescapable that he had been drinking on the flight, on the bus back to the facility. There's no way he got to the level where he was above the legal legal limit to operate a vehicle without drinking alcohol on some sort of team-owned or team-leased transportation device. And, And that's the last moment before things started to fall apart for the Titans. And then you throw in the John Robinson firing and it just, it just feels bad for the Titans right now. And to have to go into Jacksonville and play a team that destroyed you just a few weeks ago at home. What a difference a year makes for the Jaguars last year. It was the Colts going in with the playoffs on the line and the Jaguars playing for absolutely Jack squat, nothing. And the Jaguars won. This year, the Titans are going in, and the Jaguars are the ones who are win and in, lose and out. The poetry would be if the Jaguars blow it this time after, after blowing up the Colts last year, but it just shows you what having an actual, capable, competent NFL head coach can do for a team. Yeah, and, you know, I think one of the things you're seeing with the Jaguars right now and you'll see next weekend, is the benefit of playing for a coach that the players truly have trust in. Unlike a year ago where the players just didn't have any trust after a while in Urban Meyer. And, you know, last year reminded me, remember, you know, you hear sort of late in the season, you know, they're trying to just stumble through this year, and you start to hear things about Trevor Lawrence really exerting himself in the locker room. And I kind of was thinking, like midway through the season, late in the season, guys like Trevor Lawrence had to be saying in that locker room, hey, look, we're not going to get any help from the doofuses above us. You know, we better take control ourselves. They took control themselves. And again, look, I'm not criticizing the interim coaching staff as much as obviously I'm criticizing Urban Meyer. But... Guys like Trevor Lawrence really grew a lot in in Shad Khan's eyes and in the eyes of Trent Baalke, the GM, and, you know, in the eyes of a lot of players in that locker room uh, because of how he acted and the leadership he showed late in the year. And I think 
that's going to be on display here in the last two games of uh, the regular season. And this year he had an epiphany after losing to the Broncos in London. That caused him to take everything more seriously, do everything he could to improve his game. And since then, he has been very good. And the Jaguars have now won three in a row for the first time since 2017 when they made it to the AFC Championship game and nearly made it to the Super Bowl that year. So that's what the Titans will be facing Sunday, possibly Sunday night, Week 18, in Jacksonville, taking on a Jaguars team that will be favored in that game, and it will be Josh Jobs or Malik Willis. But as long as Derrick Henry's healthy, the Titans will have a chance. But we feel very differently about them without Ryan Tannehill and based on every game since they won at Lambeau Field on a Thursday night. The Cowboys... They get the win. They improved twelve and four. They have not looked dominant in recent weeks. Back around Thanksgiving, they were dominant. They beat the Vikings forty to three a week after that crazy roller coaster Vikings Bills game. They completely destroyed the Colts on a Sunday night with thirty five points in the fourth quarter. Since then, the Cowboys have been up and down within the confines of each game. They needed, in my mind, to be a little better than they felt last night. They just didn't feel dominant. Ezekiel Elliott did not have great numbers rushing the ball. Tony Pollard wasn't available. The passing game was good enough. Dalton Schultz was with a couple of touchdown catches. That last one, great throw, great catch. But, Peter, it just feels to me that the Cowboys are just kind of sluggish right now. I agree, Mike, and I think some of that, um, I think, Dak, I, and again, look, I'm not saying that Dak Prescott is having a Mahomesian year, but I think Dak Prescott has to be frustrated with some of these bizarre interceptions that, you know, the deflected interceptions. And again, look, he's not playing great, but I do think he played great at the end of that Philadelphia game. I mean, really, that is... That is what great quarterbacks do. They bring their teams back from 10-point deficits with whatever, 25 minutes to go or whatever it is against a great team. Um, but I do think you're absolutely right. I think, Mike, if, if I'm just sort of reading the tea leaves, you look at a team that last night knew that they were playing a JV team in Tennessee. And you look at, you know, all the guys that were missing in that game for Tennessee, and you looked at your own team that was kind of banged up, and you understood we have a short week late in the season, patently, ridiculously unfair competitively. It's unfair to both teams, but it's it's unfair competitively to play a short week game, uh, you know, in week 17. And so, look... However the owners want to do that, you know, I understand why they want to do it. It makes them a lot of money. And the players agreed to it, so the players really lost any right to grouse by agreeing to the 17th game. But be, be all that as it may, I'll just say that to me, I just sensed a Dallas team that understood that this is a regular season game, but is it? Anything like the one we just played against the Eagles? No. Is it anything like what we're going to play on Wild Card Weekend in probably either Carolina or Tampa? No. And so I think you can only ask players to get up for a certain amount of games. 
And that's why last night's effort and being ahead, whatever, what narrowly in the second half wouldn't really concern me. And it is strange. I thought of this last night. When the NFL began the full season embrace of the short week Thursday game, no team had to do it more than once. Now, the Cowboys have been doing it every year for decades because they host a Thanksgiving game, but we'd never seen two teams do it. Now, I guess the explanation for last night would be it really isn't like a normal short week because everybody played on Saturday. But still, it's a quick turnaround Thursday game late in the season during the holidays. It just kind of had a weird vibe to it, and all year long it looked like it was going to be a game to circle on the calendar, the one thing that we – overlooked as a possibility that the circumstances could make the game completely meaningless to one team and not quite as meaningful to the other. But but still, I, I agree with what you're saying. You can't expect the Cowboys to be at their A-plus level every single game. And coming off of that game against the Eagles, it very easily could have been a letdown where they could have lost the game even going against the Titans' JV squad. So just the mere fact that they got the win, Mike. they've kept the heat on the Eagles, the hope is still there to win the division, that's a positive. Okay, so I want to just go back 30 seconds and just remind you of something that was voted on by the owners at the meetings uh, last spring. And that was the NFL said, hey, look, we got these Amazon games this year. And obviously we have the Thanksgiving games. And the Thanksgiving games essentially are six teams playing a short week game. And we've got a lot of inventory but there's one hole in the schedule. And the hole is the extra Thursday game that we want to play in week 17. So owners had to vote to approve that two teams every year, at least as long as the 17-game schedule exists over 18 weeks, owners had to approve an extra Thursday game and an extra Thursday window. And to do that, they essentially needed two additional teams to agree to play an extra short week game. And, uh, and I, I can't tell you if Amy Adams Strunk of the, of the Titans, Mike Vrabel, John Robinson, or Jerry Jones, Mike McCarthy, I can't tell you if those teams you know, had to volunteer for it, agree to it, whatever, or if they simply were assigned to it. But this was a rule that was passed last year that two teams every year under the current scheduling, uh, you know, current scheduling protocols, two teams would have to play an extra short week game. So in other words, you play, even though they got the extra day from having played on Saturday, uh, two teams were going to have to play the extra short week game. And this year, Dallas and Tennessee drew the short straw. Now, Dallas did emerge with the victory from that second short week of the year. And one of the issues, Peter, you mentioned, Dak Prescott, with the interceptions that aren't just him throwing it to the wrong guy, throwing it to the right guy, but the right guy bobbling it, knocking it, bumping it into the air, and somebody catching it from the other team. Regardless of how the interceptions have happened, Dak Prescott now has 14, and he missed five games. He leads the league along with Derek Carr, who will be 
locked in for 14 with no more for the rest of the year for different reasons that we'll discuss later. But he's got 14. Josh Allen has 13. Josh Allen's thrown the ball 141 more times than Dak Prescott this year. Let's listen to Mike McCarthy, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, after the game when someone made the mistake of asking him about Dak Prescott's rash of interceptions. Here's McCarthy. Well, I don't agree with the word rash. I mean, we had two interceptions tonight. You know, one was a drop and one was a minus decision. So, I mean, we'll, we'll look at it and, you know, just keep coaching it. But, uh, you know, the answer is not to throw the ball. I mean, the, the answer is not to overcoach it or overemphasize it. Um, so, um, you know, the goal is to be explosive on offense and, and the stats speak for themselves. Interceptions in six straight games, a career-high 14 for Dak Prescott. Again, tied for the most despite missing five full games. They happen. It's part of the risk of throwing the football, and sometimes you just get unlucky. You shouldn't recoil away from it. It's a key part of your game. It's a key part of their offense, and you just deal with it, especially if you're winning. You deal with it. Statistics, some you like, some you don't, but the only one that matters is scoring more points than the other team. I like how McCarthy called this a minus decision. And I would agree. He threw it into double coverage where he was going to have a very tight window. And it's possible that ball could have been completed had Prescott led the receiver better. But that was a minus decision on Dak Prescott. The other one's not a minus decision. The other one is on the receiver who had minus hands. I think it was Hendershot on that play. But I, 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 don't, I don't get too fired up about an interception total unless, and look, this when we were watching the uh, Miami Green Bay game on Christmas Day, you have to admit in the fourth quarter of that game, knowing what we know now, you feel a little bit differently. But in the fourth quarter of that game, All you could think of is, oh, my God, what is Tua doing? Those, and again, we know more now that they were not necessarily minus decisions. They were minus decisions with a huge asterisk of a cloudy brain. (laughs) You know, so I think you have to look at every interception. Like Mike McCarthy said, you know, you go back and look at them. You're not blaming Dak Prescott for throwing two interceptions. You're blaming him for throwing one. And you're blaming the receiver on the deflected interception for not catching a ball that's right in his bread basket. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And again, at the end of the day, it worked out. The Cowboys got the win. The Cowboys moved to 12-4. and four. They're having a very good season. What they do in the postseason is a different issue. You mentioned earlier, they're going to have to go to Carolina or Tampa Bay most likely. Then what? At some point, they cross paths with the Eagles or the 49ers. Both teams could give the Cowboys everything they could handle. We saw the 49ers go into Dallas last year in the wild card round and win. So the Cowboys still very much alive. But, you know, just like the Vikings who have 12 wins, you can feel good about the season you've had. And then you can consider the reality that somewhere out there, the Eagles and the 49ers are lurking. And they are, in my mind, the class of the NFC. And speaking of the Eagles, they can nail down that one seed finally on Sunday with a visit from the New Orleans Saints, who are 6-9 and nine and still alive 
in the chase for the NFC South, the none of the above division. Somebody's getting to the playoffs. Somebody's hosting a playoff game. And that was the site of the first road playoff win in Saints history some 10 years ago when it was Sean Payton against Chip Kelly, nine years ago to be absolutely correct, although I think there's a chance I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Nine years ago, it was an NBC game, Saints at Eagles, first road playoff game ever for the Saints. It's trying to get there now. Eagles trying to get that one seed. Jalen Hurts, Peter, returned to practice for the first time since injuring his shoulder against the Bears in week 15. Limited basis. They haven't ruled him out. Jay Glazer reported on Saturday as far part of the Fox pregame show that basically Eagles lose to the Cowboys. Hurts is going to push to play in week 17. Eagles beat the Cowboys. They'll try to get him back in week 18 so it doesn't go five weeks between actually playing. So Hurts is going to do everything he can to try to play. They want to get this one seed. They want to nail this down. They don't want to run the risk. Slim as it may be of a disintegration late in the season that blows everything we just assumed they were going to have. They became the odds-on favorite to be the one seed at some point in October, November, and they're they're hitting this injury thing late in the year that's potentially going to derail them. But uh, I, whether it's Hurts or Minshew, as you said earlier, I don't see the Eagles losing a game, losing both of the next two games, and they should be able to handle the Saints. They're good enough at the other positions to handle the Saints on Sunday. You know, I think the other thing to look at with the Eagles, too, is the Lane Johnson situation. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not waving some panicky flag here, but I think this game this weekend, whoever plays quarterback for the Eagles, is really important because you do not want to go against the New York Giants in Week 18 uh, with that defense without Lane Johnson and uh, with the right side of that line being pretty questionable. And so against that pass rush. And so, it, you know, whether the Giants have clinched their spot or not, it's coincidental, Mike, that, uh, that I think today is the 15-year anniversary of the New England Patriots with a 15-0 and record waltzing into East Rutherford to play the Giants. And the Giants and Patriots had their playoff spots and slots clinched going into that game. And Tom Coughlin, who now has just wrote a book about this season, Tom Coughlin had a choice to make. Do we want to play our guys? Do we want to rest them? All that. And he walked into his team meeting on Monday and he goes, we're the New York friggin' football giants. And we are playing to win this game. And the players loved it. They absolutely loved it. They wanted to knock the Patriots off. Anyway, they lose 38-35, but they won a lot more. They gained a lot more. And the next morning, John Madden has a voicemail on Tom Coughlin's uh, telephone in his office back when people use landlines. And... <laughs> John Madden leaves Tom Coughlin a voicemail and said, you know, I've never been more proud to be associated with the, uh, with the NFL when I, than I was last night, you know, in the last X number of years. It's the greatest thing I've seen. So I think, and again, I'm not saying Brian Dayball is going to repeat history. If the Giants have a playoff spot locked after this weekend, I don't know what he's going to do. And I'm not suggesting that he has to do what Coughlin did. But I think that is going to be ringing in his ears a little bit. 
if they go into Philadelphia having already clinched a playoff spot. You know, that's a great point because it really did give the Giants a lift in 2007, gave them the confidence they could play with the Patriots if and when their paths crossed again, and it also gave them the confidence to embark on road game, road game, road game in the NFC playoff field because they were the five seed that year, and uh, it, it ended up being a pretty exciting time for everyone except for the New England Patriots. When you mentioned that game, Peter, so many memories came back. What a mess that was, because remember, it was a Saturday night game. It was supposed to be on NFL Network only, and there were so few people relative to the rest of the country who had NFL Network. There was pressure on the NFL. And everybody wanted to see the game. Yeah. Right. And it was on, was it on NBC and CBS? Is that where it ended up? It wasn't on Fox. I think it was on NBC and CBS simulcast. I think there were two networks that aired it uh, instead of or in addition to NFL Network, but they wanted that How game about out this there. For craziness, and, you know, that's another Mike. reason for it to, to, to go ahead. I, I'll, I'll give you a little crazy nugget about that game. You know, the broadcast team for that game, Bryant Gumble did play Who? by play Bryant Gumble. Okay. Chris Collinsworth did color and Adam Schefter was the sideline reporter. <laughs> I remember the Bryant Gumble days. The one thing that stands out about the Bryant Gumble days is every once in a while someone would belch, and people thought it was Bryant Gumble, but there was some live mic somewhere in the stadium that someone was sneaking around and belching <laughs> into. That's the I may, may, maybe Bryant Gumble would hope he had a different <laughs> legacy than that, and just the mind of some random schlub. But that's the one thing I remember. And here it is, Dateline. December 26, 2007, from the Associated Press, it was simulcast on CBS and NBC along with NFL Network. It was the first regular season game on three networks in NFL history. Okay, Um, speaking of the Patriots and Tom Brady, who's still playing 15 years later, who now has 8,292 days before he was drafted, and now 8,293 days since he's been drafted. We're going to take a break, and when we return, talk about his future because he talked about his future yesterday, his immediate future, though, trying to take down the Panthers in a chase for the NFC South crown. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, The threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Honestly, it's the first thing from my mind. I'm just going to, you know, go out there, try to play a great game this week. We have a big, you know, our, our biggest games are ahead of us. So we got to do a good job, and i got to play quarterback. i got to prepare well, and um, that's what I'm thinking about. Tom, someone did the math. You've spent literally half your life now in the NFL. Same number of days on earth in the NFL as before the NFL. No, that's crazy. <laughs> no, that's crazy. That's crazy. You know, the stats and data is everywhere. It's a data-driven world, but that's crazy. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine. So I've loved it. I've certainly you know, loved my opportunity to play, and it's been a lot of, uh, you know, it's memories and, and relationships. I've certainly had my fair share of all those Don't know much about Tom Brady's future. I doubt that in 8,292 days from now, he'll still be playing. But with him, you can't rule out anything. That question came up where he said it's the furthest thing from my mind. They asked him what factors he will consider when he ponders whether or not to retire after the season. And he's just not thinking about it. He said the same thing earlier this week on his Let's Go podcast. He's not thinking about it. But he did say the next time he does it, he's not coming back. Now, the cynics would say he was always coming back, that he was just retiring from the Buccaneers. But when there is a retirement the next time, it will be a retirement. He's not going to do this half-step retirement. He's just going to be done, and that's going to be it. And we've all assumed it was going to be after this year, Peter. As we get closer to the end of the season, I'm not assuming anything. And when Rodney Harrison said, after interviewing Tom Brady and talking to Tom Brady— when Rodney Harrison said on Football Night in America on Christmas night, he thinks Tom Brady's going to play next year, but for a team other than the Buccaneers, I put a lot of stock in what Rodney had to say. I mean, he's not the first person to say that, but obviously because he's Rodney Harrison and the relationship he has with Brady, uh, I think it's significant. I agree that I think, I, I will just say this, I think if he does play, it will be for a team other than Tampa. I certainly don't think he dislikes Tampa or, or, or hates him or, or anything like that. But I do think the way Brady looks at it or the way he has to look at it is, you know, where am I going to have, if I only play one more year, where am I going to have the best chance to win a Super Bowl? Where is that? What, what place will give me that opportunity? And look, Mike, there's a lot we don't know yet. You know, we don't know what Josh McDaniels and the Raiders are going to do after the season. We think we know, but we don't know, okay? And we don't know if that will be uh, a reunion made in heaven for a 46-year-old quarterback who has had some pretty sketchy moments in, uh, you know, this season. Uh, Whether they want to cast their lot, because if that doesn't work, Tom Brady's not the only one out of Vegas at the end of next year. Josh McDaniels will be another one, you know. Um, and the and there's also the specter of Sean Payton looming over everything. Sean Payton goes back to the Saints. My guess is that he'd want Tom Brady to come with him and to be his quarterback next year. 
or if 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 um, Sean Payton goes anywhere, I think barring having a really good quarterback in house, I would think he would want to bring Tom Brady with him. But those are questions that we can't answer right now because we're not positive that Brady's going to play again. We think he there's a good chance he will be, but I'm pretty sure if he plays again, it won't be in Tampa. I really do think at some level Tom Brady and Sean Payton very much want to find a way to work together. It's just something that they both want on their mutual football resumes that we spent at least a year somewhere. When you take a guy who is the offensive equivalent of Bill Belichick, who grinds, who studies, who is always staying ahead of the curve and looking for ideas and options that can get the most out of the talents of the players he has. And he's up till 2, 3 a.m. doing it, and it's nonstop, and it's no days off. And Tom Brady, I think, is drawn to that. And Peyton is drawn to Brady. Remember, the year that Breeze came back, Drew Breeze for one more season, there was some chatter that maybe they were going to try to nudge Breeze away and go with Tom Brady that year when Brady was the free agent that went to Tampa Bay. So I I just have a hard time finding a spot for Sean Payton where he could bring in Tom Brady. You go to Dallas, which if, if Mike McCarthy makes a horrible coaching decision down the stretch and loses a playoff game to Tom Brady, who knows what Jerry Jones will do? You got Dak Prescott. You go to Denver, you're stuck with Russell Wilson. The Chargers job isn't going to open up now that they've made the playoffs. It would have been Justin Herbert. The only place other than the Saints, which is definitely a rumor making the rounds, of, and, and I know the folks in New Orleans are like, oh, no, no, that's all. You know, they, they, I mean, they, they, that's not a very, a very uh, non-awkward thing for them to be talking about given that they have a head coach. But other than New Orleans, Carolina is the only place where you could get Peyton and Brady together. And everything I've heard is that, that, Pey- that Peyton and Carolina wouldn't be a thing, but I think that's a huge factor for Brady. And you have to see, with any quarterback carousel, and this year, Peter, it's going to be crazier than ever. I was listing the names yesterday of guys who will be, could be, should be available. There are so many quarterbacks that are going to be out there. But before you can spin the, the quarterback carousel, the coaching carousel has to come to a rest. Which jobs are open? Which coaches go where? Then you get some clarity on where the quarterbacks that are going to be available will land. I mean, there's no question about it, Mike. I, I I agree with you totally. I keep hearing, well, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be able to have his choice of jobs, and you know, Brady will be out, Brady could be out there, and and Derek Carr is going to the Jets, and and all this other stuff. And I keep saying to myself, there aren't enough jobs for the number of quarterbacks and or the number of agents of quarterbacks who believe that their guys are going to have a really good landing spot. Like, for instance, let's take Tennessee. What are the Titans going to do? The Titans have a lot of questions going into the offseason, a lot. They're not in great cap shape. Um, Whoever goes there, if they do end up replacing Ryan Tannehill, my guess is they probably want to. Um, but I also think that's going to be a financial decision. But so, so if you, if you don't, if you, if you keep Ryan Tannehill and you're the Tennessee Titans, so don't you want to backstop him right now? If you're Mike Vrabel 
with somebody better than Malik Willis? So those are the kind of questions that we just don't know now. Because, Mike, you raised the issue at the top. For Mike Vrabel to have bypassed bypassed Malik Willis to play in this game and perhaps to play next week, for a guy who's been on this team for 15 minutes, it says something resoundingly beyond today. You know, and they can say whatever they want. I have no idea what they said last night or the other day about it, but they can say whatever they want. But the fact is, if you've got a quarterback who has been playing and who's been in the system all year and you leapfrog somebody over him who, you know, every team in the NFL had a chance to employ on the active roster and didn't, you know, you you then have to ask yourself the question, what is Malik Willis's role there for the future? So that's, and that's just, that's one out of 32. And obviously there aren't 32 places that have quarterback questions, but I bet you could think of a good 10 or 12 that have legitimate quarterback questions. And Mike, you mentioned a minute ago about Carolina, and I totally understand everybody saying, yeah, well, the Saints are not going to trade Sean Payton within the division and everything. And that's that's logical and that's probably correct. But just remember one thing. If Steve Wilkes and the Carolina Panthers win in Carolina in Tampa on Sunday, and if they host a playoff game, how in the world is that owner going to replace Steve Wilkes after the season? I think Wilkes has already done enough to get the job. But you're right. If they win the division and host a playoff game, you can't not give Steve Wilkes an opportunity to build on what he's done. The other wrinkle, too, with Peyton to Carolina that I hadn't thought of, and somebody mentioned this to me the other day, it's one thing to say the Saints would never trade him there. It's another thing also to say Peyton would go there. Would he ever go there and become enemy of the state in New Orleans and tarnish his legacy in New Orleans? You go from eating and drinking for free for life in New Orleans to having to have someone there as your food and drink tester if you go back to New Orleans, if you go coach the Panthers. So I don't think he wants to destroy his legacy. It's kind of like a Brett Favre to Minnesota type of a thing, and we know that rivalry. It is a strong one between Carolina and New Orleans. Now, it's not all that often that both teams are good, but that was one of the great rivalries in the NFL a few years ago when the Panthers were at their best with Cam Newton and the Saints were at their best with Sean Payton and Drew Brees. So that's another reason why Payton wouldn't go. But you're right, Steve Wilkes may have already earned that job. If he gets to the playoffs, wins the division, hosts a playoff game, that job, I think, is his. So, so back to Brady. And, you know, this is the other dynamic, Peter. I made the list earlier, posted it just before the show, of all the teams that that could be interested in Derek Carr. Assuming Derek Carr is interested in playing for someone other than the Raiders, he said earlier this year that it's Raiders or golf course. When Raiders slam the door in your face, you may change your assessment. But it dawned on me. Most of the teams out there do not have what you would consider a fully and completely settled quarterback situation. And then there's a a few teams like the Broncos, who would like to have the option to try to find a different quarterback, but their hands are tied by the quarterback's contract. But there's a lot of teams that don't have a clear, obvious 
franchise quarterback and could be interested in Tom Brady, even on a short-term thing. Because, Peter, what Tom, what does Tom Brady do? He puts asses in the seats. He puts money in the bank. He puts teams in prime time. He makes irrelevant teams relevant. You talk about the Titans. He and Mike Vrabel, former teammates in New England, good friends. The Titans are always just kind of like, eh, who cares team? Well, all of a sudden, they get Tom Brady. They go from being who cares to a team that – Everyone cares about, everyone pays attention to. Now, does Tom Brady think he can win there? That's part of it. But from the perspective of an owner that wants to dump a bunch of money Tom Brady's way, it's not just, well, are we going to win a Super Bowl with this guy? It's, we're going to fill our stadium. We're going to sell all of our stuff, all of our beer, all of our pretzel, all of our hot dogs, all of our shirts, all of our hats, all of our everything. We're going to make a ton of money with Tom Brady. And that business reality is going to make him attractive to other teams as well once he's free and clear from the Buccaneers. Look, there's a reason why both Tennessee and Carolina, and Mike, you mentioned that about Carolina and Sean Payton. I'll just remind you of one thing. I will never forget, um, this is in May of 2008, when I was at home at my house in New Jersey and the phone rang and it was Favre. And remember, he had retired in March and uh, Chris Mortensen had reported that he was thinking about coming back. And so it was my off season. I was working occasionally, but not hard. And the phone rang and it was Favre and basically saying, what do you think if I came back? And I said, wow. He said, and I had heard about the Minnesota stuff and all that. He said, just one thing to keep in mind. If you go to Minnesota, that kid in Ashwaubenon is going to rip the poster of Brett Favre off his, off his wall and put it in the <laughs> fireplace. And, and he did understand that. And obviously, he ended up going to the Jets that first year. But then he went to Minnesota. And Mike, I think what you said as much as I respect your right for saying it, is absolutely, totally wrong because, about Peyton and the Saints. <clears throat> and it's because, if you remember about Favre, Favre went to Minnesota, and when he came back to Green Bay, got booed vociferously. I think he played there twice. Got booed vociferously. People hated him. Signs about him. You traitor. All that stuff. But before this current Mississippi thing, when Favre stepped back into Lambeau Field, he got a thunderous ovation and never was heard a discouraging word. Now, there are going to be some who will never think the same of Favre for going to play for the Vikings, and I get it, but they are in the distinct minority. I don't know what would happen if Peyton would go to Carolina, but all I know is this. If that job is open and that defense is pretty damn good, and you got a few pieces in place on offense. And if you could go there in a bad division, which the NFC South is right now, that is a bad division. I mean, don't you look at that and say, we can not only win the division, but we could make some noise in the playoffs if we had a powerful offense. And I'm not saying that it's going to happen. It might happen. Any, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that, I think in 2037, when Sean Payton 
walks back into the French Quarter after having coached for three years in Charlotte, I don't think people are going to tell him, hey, you bum, get out of here. It's still a factor. It's a factor. Uh, and it's it's similar to the factor that the Saints wouldn't want to see him there. He's got to consider even the short-term hit to how he's perceived by Saints fans. And who knows? Maybe it won't be three years. Maybe he'll do it for 10 years. Who knows how long he's going to be the coach of the Panthers if that would happen. But that all came up in our conversation because it's either New Orleans or Carolina. Of the spots out there where you see potential vacancies, uh, Colts too. But I just I don't see it happening with the Colts. I think Jim Irsay is dead set on hiring Jeff Saturday. But that is one other potential location where you could thread the needle with Peyton as the coach, Brady as the quarterback. And I also think that the, the Colts desperately want to get off of this aging quarterback every year, someone different every year, from Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan. Um, but, but still... Tom Brady is going to create excitement. He's going to get you in prime time. He's going to fill your stadium. And he can still play. That's the bottom line. Steve Young had a great comment a few weeks ago when the Buccaneers played the Saints on Monday Night Football. People retire because they can't do it anymore. Tom Brady can still do it. And even though he said all along he's going to play until he's 45, everything he did to allow himself to play until he's age 45 allows him to play at 46, maybe 47. Maybe 48. That arm is going to be there into his 50s. The legs will go. But he's already smart enough to know where he's going to go with the ball. He doesn't need five seconds of blocking. The ball's out. He knows before it's in his hands who's going to be open and where he's going to throw it. So I I just think between the fact that he can still – he's not having that Willie Mays type of moment. I know he has some bad moments in games, and Sims does a good job of breaking them down and pointing them out. But, man, when you get to crunch time in a game – he, he morphs back into the Tom Brady of old. He, it just feels like Tom Brady in his prime when they're down 13, down 10, whatever, and it's the fourth quarter and he goes into the hurry-up offense. He looks like the guy we've always seen, and I don't see him walking away while he can still play at the level he's playing at. I agree with you, but let's talk about another team, a team that we've mentioned already. Let's talk about the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, the one thing that you've heard endlessly out of Indianapolis is we need to get off of this one quarterback a year bandwagon because that's what it's been since that August night in 2019 when uh, Andrew Luck shocked the world and said he was retiring. So let's, let's just think about this for a second, Mike. The Indianapolis Colts have the fifth pick in the draft if the draft were today. So it'll be somewhere in the top 10, okay? And there are three or four quarterbacks who people talk about as being first-round caliber quarterbacks. I would bet a lot of money that Chris Ballard has a firm, the general manager of the Colts, has a firm opinion about all of these quarterbacks in the draft. And... I would doubt if Jim Irsay said to him, hey, listen, if we can just get over the whole deflate gate stuff from eight years ago, <laughs> we got a chance. We, we, could, we could take Brady and, and all this. We, we, could, we could have Brady for a year or two. 
this is just my opinion. And this is not because I think that Chris Ballard dislikes Tom Brady or, or anything like that. He doesn't. He has all the respect in the world for him. But do you think that if Chris Ballard has the fifth pick in the draft, in a draft where there are some good quarterbacks, that he's going to want to scotch tape it together for four or five months to try to make a run and to do something that over and over and over and over again has not worked. I would say, Chris Ballard would probably say, Mr. Ursay, count me out of this harebrained scheme. I love you. You're a great <laughs> owner. I've loved working here. I can't do that. So bring in John Doe to be the general manager to bring in uh, Tom Brady, either to work with Jeff Saturday or to get rid of Jeff Saturday and to work with Sean Payton. I, I don't see it, Mike. That's the thing, though. As harebrained schemes go, Tom Brady to the Colts has less hair in the brain than Jeff Saturday is the interim head coach. So Chris Ballard has been around for some harebrained stuff in Indy, but you're right. There may be some things that are a bridge too far. And I interviewed him after the draft, and I brought up the issue of getting off of this carousel of every year, revolving door, another quarterback, another quarterback. Yeah, they want someone who's going to be the guy. They desperately want a 10- to 15-year answer, and now they're in a position to go get one. All right, the Buccaneers are still in position to win the Super Bowl. Crazy as that sounds. But, you know, Peter, one thing that's stuck with me all year long, if you give Tom Brady a seat at the playoff table, he shows up with 47 games of postseason single elimination winner-go-home experience. You look at the other quarterbacks in the NFC, collectively, they are far short of 47. Ridiculously short of 47. You mean Brock Purdy hasn't had 47 playoff games? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, uh, he doesn't have 47 quarters. Um, It's amazing. So, I, I, if I'm the Eagles, the Cowboys, the 49ers, the Vikings, these teams that you know, are kind of locked in and feeling pretty good about themselves. I don't want Tom Brady showing up at any point because playoff Tom Brady is different than regular season Tom Brady. Late game Tom Brady is different than first three quarters of the game Tom Brady. I don't want that. And I say all that because here it is, Panthers at Bucks. They need this one. If they lose to the Panthers, they could quite possibly miss the playoffs. They'd fall to seven and nine through 16 games. Um, and the Panthers, boy, that running game they unleashed against the Lions with both running backs over 100 yards in the first half and Chuba Hubbard and Deontay Foreman looking great. They were both co-offensive players of the week, I think, in football morning in America. Can the Bucks slow them down enough to let Tom Brady do what he has to do to win the game, Peter? I mean, that's a great question. This is a huge game for Tampa's defensive front. Look, I talked to Steve Wilkes after this game, and... <clears throat> I don't know that coaches do this anymore. But if, if I were uh, Todd Bowles, I'd be sort of circling what Steve Wilkes said in my column, which in essence was, I've gone to Ben McAdoo, their offensive coordinator, and I have said the most dispiriting thing for any defense and any defensive coach is if you can't stop the run. It's a team imposing their will on you. And he sounded very much like, and he said to me, he says, we're not a sexy team. We're, he said, we're not sexy. And we can't throw the ball and we won't throw the ball all over the place the way a lot of teams will. 
But this is a good way for us to play right now. And to me, you know, if I'm the Bucks, you know, I, I, and I've already thought about this. If the Bucks win this game and Carolina rushes for 86 yards as a team, uh, somebody on that defensive front is going to get player of the week, you know, on, in my column on Monday because that's the way Carolina believes it has to win right now. There's not going to be any big secret to Carolina's offensive game plan. Now we just have to figure out, can the Bucks for 60 minutes stop Carolina from imposing its will on the Tampa Bay defense? And I think that's the key too, because if the Panthers are able to do that, it demoralizes the Buccaneers and it maybe puts the game in a position where, and this is where the Panthers defense comes into play. Tom Brady can't kick into that old school mode where they they go no huddle they get down the field they score points they're down multiple scores it doesn't matter they find a way to tear your heart out and show it to you like they did to the saints like they did to the cardinals like they did to the rams that that's hell that's almost half their wins under those set of circumstances where they they're, they're trailing and tom brady morphs into the superhero and they get it done so look i can't imagine the playoffs without tom brady in them uh so i can't imagine the panthers winning this game i picked it yesterday is very close 24 23 with the panthers covering two and a half point spread but this one could go either way but i i just feel like at the end of the day it's going to be tom brady doing tom brady things and you mentioned earlier the possibility of him doing tom brady things in las vegas with josh mcdaniels that's an issue now because the raiders opted to bench Derek carr for the final two games of the season one very important reason 40.4 million in injury guarantees that become fully guaranteed on the third day after the super bowl fourth day after the super bowl third day of the waiver period they don't want him to be injured if he's injured and can't pass a physical by that that second third week in february the 40.4 million is due and payable and they're stuck so they're looking for a way out peter um and jared stidham is in against the 49ers I don't know how happy he should be about that. Couldn't you have started me for the first time against somebody other than the best defense right now in the NFL? But your reaction and and your thoughts on Derek Carr being, by all appearances, kicked to the curb by the Raiders the same year in which he signed a contract extension that everybody was saying, oh, boy, 40, another $40 million per year guy. Nope, $27 million for one year, and now it looks like he's out. Contractually, it's understandable. Because I think that even up to a month ago, no decision had been made. And I'm not saying a decision has been made right now about his future, but it sure seems like there has been one made. Um, But even a month ago, the Las Vegas Raiders, who still were clinging on to, you know, faint hopes of after starting two and seven of rallying to, to make the playoffs... But I think, Mike, in the last month, what you've seen in Derek Carr, Greg Cosell made a really good point this week. And I thought the exact same thing when I watched a good chunk of the Pittsburgh game the other day. If you watch the wide-angle view, especially from behind the quarterback, Derek Carr is missing a lot of targets that of players who are open. And he's choosing not to throw now, whether there there's some reason for that, I, you know, or whether it's just anecdotal. I don't know that, but 
he has he has not gone to he's not made uh all great decisions uh and and if you look at the last month mike one thing that josh mcdaniels has to have because he has a lot of what you would call option routes choice routes what he runs and the quarterback has a lot of decisions to make once he gets once he gets the ball and so i think Derek carr has been making some bad decisions and in the last month mike he has completed only 53 percent of his passes his quarterback rating is in the 60s i mean that's bad you're looking at it right now six touchdowns seven interceptions in the last month and if you look at this you basically say this is the time of year when he should be getting a lot better He's used to McDaniel's offense now, and instead he's regressing. And if you're Josh McDaniels, you have to be thinking to yourself, is this the guy I want to cast my lot to? I'm going to say one other thing. One of the things that I had always been told about McDaniels in in this sort of interregnum between his time in Denver and taking this job Uh, obviously with the Raiders, that the only way he was going to take a, a, a head coaching job is if he felt he had a quarterback and if he felt he had the decision making prowess to, and, and power to choose the quarterback. Because that to him was why He wanted to get involved in some of the jobs he's been involved with over the years. That is one of the reasons why he originally took the Indianapolis job before walking away, um, you know, in the ugly thing five years ago. But I think the one thing, Mike, to keep in mind, I mean, there's probably a lot of people wondering, was this Mark Davis ordering the code red? Or was it Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, his general manager, were they the ones who wanted to do this? And Mike, I I think honestly, if you're Josh McDaniels and you see the way the contract is written, this contract was written to give Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr a one-year marriage to see how it worked out. If it works out, we're going to work together the next 10 years. If it doesn't work out, we both can shake hands and said, hey, we tried our best and time to move on. That wasn't how it was worded at the time, obviously. But that is really what that contract meant. To me, this is Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler saying, we think we need to look elsewhere for a quarterback in 2023 and beyond. And I think it's going to be their decision about what to do, whether it be... uh, a quarterback high in the draft, whether it be a veteran quarterback, a Brady or a Garoppolo, I I don't know. But I do think this is McDaniels and not Davis. First of all, Peter, we can always count on you to break out once per show, whether it's cacophonous one day or interregnum another day. 
That is a noun, meaning a period when normal government is suspended, especially between successive reigns or regimes. It also means an interval or pause between the two periods of office or other things. For folks out there wondering what interregnum means. So well done, Peter. You have expanded our knowledge of the English language. Again, I'm sure the folks in the U.K. where the language was born are very happy to hear interregnum today. Beyond that, as Derek Carr enters his interregnum, the the reality is you, you're right when you know, and that's why when these contracts are reported, and you have this breathless hyping by so many in the media who are grateful to have been handed the information, they dare not say anything bad or honest about the contract, as the case may be. It was the first thing I did. We get the breakdown of all these major deals because the people in the business know we're not going to sugarcoat it. And I looked at it, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a one-year, $27 million deal, and the Raiders can rip it up. Well, this is interesting, and I've had my eye on that all year long. And when he threw the three interceptions on Saturday night in Pittsburgh, we wrote the next morning. I mean, it wasn't the kind of Christmas gift that Derek Carr was surely looking for, but it's like, hey, the Raiders have a window right after the Super Bowl to move on from Derek Carr, and it looks like they're going to, Peter. The only problem is, but everybody just assumes they're going to trade him. Well, number one, he's got a no-trade clause. Not that that matters. Every franchise quarterback has a de facto no-trade clause. No one is going to trade for a $40 million guy who doesn't want to be there. But they got to line these planets up, and Mark Davis is going to take a hell of a risk if they do one of these wink, nod, unofficial trades that don't go through until the middle of March and aren't enforceable and either team can walk away at any time for any reason, someone could do to Josh McDaniels what Josh McDaniels did to the Colts and stick him with Derek Carr and say, nah, we've changed our mind. No, it's unenforceable. Sorry, sorry, we hope you understand. Oh, you do understand because you've done this before to the Indianapolis Colts. That makes it very difficult to take that leap of faith. And that's why I think they're, they're just going to cut him. I don't think they're going to trade him. They may try, but I think they're going to realize we're not comfortable. We're not comfortable doing it. We're just going to have to cut him. It's interesting, Mike. If you, if you play this out, the one thing you ask yourself, let's say you're Joe Douglas with the New York Jets, and deep down inside you know that at the end of the season you're going to let Zach Wilson go. And... I have great respect for Jay Glazer, who I think, didn't he report that they were going to let him go after the season? Yes. Someone did. I'm sorry. It, it all get it all gets yeah, it was Jay. together. But yeah, okay. So I, I, in no way am I saying I doubt his report, but it's just that I don't know that. Okay. But let's just assume that, uh, that Zach Wilson is going to be gone at the end of this year. Wouldn't a perfect match for Derek Carr to be go in with Mike White and you guys, almost every team needs two quarterbacks now anyway. And so you go in with Mike White, you go into training camp, may the best man win. You figure that Derek Carr probably would win that job. But, you know, Robert Sala can now make decisions from a position of strength rather than from a position of weakness. Like, oh my God. I got to, if I replace Mike White, I got to go with either Wilson or Flacco. That's, that's pathetic. I, I, you know, but if you replace Derek Carr for Mike White, that is more of a position of strength at the quarterback position. But, but, and I only bring that up because if the New York Jets say, we're going to trade for Derek Carr, then obviously they're going to try to redo the contract a little bit when he shows up. 
But think about it. If you have a contract, and I'm just looking uh, right now at over the cap, if you have a contract where the player is due 32-9, and 41-2 over the next three years, okay, just think about that for a second. That's an, that, that is why the contract is fairly untradeable. Is somebody going to guarantee a commitment to Derek Carr essentially for whatever it is, $37 million a year for the next three years? I wouldn't. You know, some quarterbacks deserve that. But more and more, we're seeing that, you know, maybe we don't want to guarantee making a quarterback a $37 million player if right now we're not altogether sure whether he's going to be our quarterback well into the future. He's got all the power here. He can say to the Raiders, cut me or let my guarantees vest. I'm not cooperating. I'm not changing my contract because I think he's far better off to be on the open market more than a month in advance of the start of free agency, get maximum teams clamoring for him and get the best deal he can that way instead of having to negotiate something less than in response to the position you just articulated. We can't pay you $37 million a year for three years. Surely you understand that. We need to do a different deal. You got more leverage when it's five teams, seven teams, who knows how many teams trying to sign you versus the one team that the Raiders have handpicked to try to trade you to. So I just I don't think they're going to be able to do it. They'll think about it. They'll realize they can't. And Mark Davis will ultimately say, I don't want to go to bed every night for the next six weeks worried that when I wake up, I'm going to find out that this team we've tentatively traded Derek Carr to has stuck it to us, Josh, the way you stuck it to the Colts. That's what just makes this beautiful in an ugly sort of way that the last guy that should be taking the leap of faith is the one guy who backed out when someone took a leap of faith on him five years ago when he was supposed to be the Indianapolis Colts coach and Matt Eberflus took the defensive coordinator job under under that uh, belief. So we'll see how that plays out. Let's take a break, and when we return, we'll see how, or at least try to see how, other games in Week 17 play out. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 